So much happened. So much began on New York's Lower East Side. Welcome to Friends of Anthony Bourdain. I'm Emily Fedner, a former line cook, pasta pop-up owner, and the creator behind Food Lover's Diary. And I'm Fabrizio Villapondo, also known as The Moody Foodie. I'm a former waiter turned food-obsessed home cook and recipe developer. You might be familiar with the Friends of Bourdain Instagram and TikTok account. That was started by our producer as a way of keeping Bourdain's legacy alive. So this is about you, his fans. We want to continue the conversations about Tony's travels. So that's why we started this podcast, actually, as fans ourselves who are inspired by Bourdain. And each week we get to return to parts unknown or parts now known. We'll reconnect with the friends Anthony Bourdain traveled the world with, revisit the places they traveled to, and explore what's changed since they last visited. All as told by his friends. This week we're joined by Harley Flanagan. Harley was one of the guests of the Parts Unknown Lower East Side episode, which was actually the last episode of that show ever produced, which is pretty hefty. And Harley himself was a child musician and rock star at age 12. He published a book at age seven, and then he was a punk rock star at age 12. His band, Cro-Mags, like at the age of like 13. And I was reading this this quote uh, from Bourdain. He said, uh, Harley Flanagan's incredible story is not just the history of New York, hardcore, of which he is a founding father, but a history of New York itself. And the moment I read that, we got to talk to this guy. I always had a cue ball and a sock in my pocket. I'd split your head open quicker than you could say what the. And it did turn me into a bit of a, a problem as a teenager, you know? I would guess. Wait a minute, I'd have to guess. I know. <laughs> Harley was an interesting and amazing choice for the episode because an overarching theme of the Lower East Side episode was, are we glamorizing this mm. really shitty, gritty, dangerous area and time in New York? Like, are we all just looking at it through rose-colored lenses? And Harley provides a lot of insight into that because he grew up hard and he grew up fast. And I feel like of anyone, he's like, I can fully tell you why not to glamorize this, yeah. this moment because it's impacted me for the rest of my life. I think we all fall guilty of this where we romanticize a certain area, uh, a certain era or a certain city. So it's gonna be very interesting hearing someone who was in that scene, in that very famous like punk rock era of New York in like the 70s and 80s and 90s. I'm just really excited to hear his perspective on everything. Plus they have a lot in common. It's interesting how Harley and Tony reconnected years later after this punk rock scene because they both found a love of jujitsu and practice at the same academy. And I think they both use that as a way of coping with various struggles that they've had in their lives. I think one of the wildest things that I've read is that there was like a chance encounter when Harley was, you know, 11, 12 or 13 and Bourdain was just going to one of these punk clubs in in uh, in New York City. He's like, who's this kid? And it's like, I mean, Harley having a sense of celebrities being this punk rock, you know, in, in these popular bands back in that day, and Bourdain just being dumbfounded by, what the fuck is this child I mean, doing that would here? be a very jarring thing to see. Oh, absolutely. And then ending up and meeting later in life. A little bit of perspective, some stories and some words from Harley Flanagan, a friend of Anthony Bourdain. Well, man, we just want to start off and say uh, your story is, it's amazing. And since I admitted to, which was, it was very hard for me to admit that I am very new to New York, kind of like the differences that you've seen over the years. I mean, you've seen, you know, back in the day with all the crazy shit going around, the punk scene and everything in the Lower East Side. And how would you describe it to how it is now? You know, like all these trendy bars and restaurants. 
don't feel bad about not being a, <laughs> a quote unquote real New Yorker because the fact is is less than probably a third of these people are. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. Don't feel bad. And and actually, you know, I represent New York to a lot of people in a lot of ways. But I was actually born in San Francisco general. However, my mother is a native New Yorker born here and I, I've always considered it like it's kind of like being a Jew. If your mom's Jewish, you're a Jewish mm-hmm. your mom's from New York. <laughs> New York. No, it's just, that's just the way it is. So, <laughs> so, but I grew up here and, uh, you know, I've been here, I've seen all the changes obviously. And, uh, that was really kind of one of the things that I think me and Tony really yeah. uh, bonded over. He remembers my childhood mm-hmm. as well as uh, the neighborhood back then. You know, we have a lot of mutual friends from back in the old days. And uh, obviously he was uh, quite a bit older than me, but I was uh, very young when I started hanging out on the club scene and the music mm-hmm. scene. So we have a lot of friends in common. And, and yeah, the city has changed a lot. I see a little bit of, uh, you know, echoes of the past kind of, uh, you know, creeping up. It, mm. It's been kind of weird lately. Like, like you mentioned that I think that was like one of the big connections with you and Tony. I mean, even watching, you know, the Lower East Side episode, I kind of caught myself thinking, I forgot that this was like a food and travel show, you know, and you could just tell sort of like this uh, brotherly love that you guys had and you guys are like talking about all sorts of other great shit, you know, that really didn't have to do anything with food and you know, seeing that bond was just really nice and showing that representation yeah. for the neighborhood. It kind of sucks talking about him, you know, mm. because I really miss the guy. But I always got to remember, you know, we're only alive for such a short period of time, mm. you know, as it is. So if you like encounter some really awesome people, you know, during your time here and you even just have a few moments with them, you, you got to really consider yourself lucky to have had that encounter. You know, it's also fleeting. And, you know, I've known a lot of really cool people. I mean, I don't know if you've like read my book. I mean, you should because he did the uh, intro to it. But like, you know, I mean, I've known a lot of influential people, a lot of so-called cool, whatever the fuck, mm. you know, um, influencers of my day before that was a term (laughs) influencer you know and uh and tony was really one of the fucking coolest people i've known you know it's it's difficult for me to talk about because you know i wish he was still here and it's Mm -hmm. like part of me wants to try to like give him give him a pass or something you know Mm -hmm. or or, or, you know i respect that you know and you know someone decides whatever and and i just can't get there i I feel really uh disappointed left a lot of conversations unhad that hits me pretty hard you know he was like one of the few people that i would like really look forward you know it's like one thing when you know you're going to see somebody it's another thing when you know you're going to see somebody and you're so excited that you actually are sitting there like trying to think of like what what should yeah. we talk about yeah like, like you know, somebody like, you can truly open up with and you feel, you feel like actually can speak on the subject mm. without you know just like talking bullshit you know yeah well i mean like that, that was the thing too right i mean you guys had this like souls that just like kind of went through similar shit at different times and he was my fucking dude, man. There's no fucking question. Yeah. And the funny shit is, is, you know, he was the real deal. I mean, mm-hmm. he was genuine. But like, he was also, I think one of his real gifts was that he was able to recognize what's real and, and really sniff out the bullshit. And he would be the first person to, to say, you know, I didn't live your life. You know, I didn't, you know, see or experience the the shit that you went through because in a way he was and this is by no means any sort of this he was kind of an observer Mm. you know because like let's you know face at the end of the day he wasn't from the city Mm. you know he's 
come here. Like mm-hmm. so many other people did, they came here to kind of witness what was going on and to like touch it, mm-hmm. be around it, you know, warm their hands on it, you know? Yeah, I mean, he did and, some, uh, a lot of stuff that like no one else would do to sort of like feel either the culture of the people because it meant something to him because mm-hmm. he recognized the gritty realness of it you know i never really had much else other than that so like i never found it quite as i don't have the fetish for it that mm-hmm. a lot of people have you know to me i'm just like ugh. i like that um a big theme in the lower east side episode was the idea that tony felt like a lot of people glamorized that time glamorized yeah. that neighborhood and kind of viewed it in a way that was not real and, you know, not... Agreed. And I I, I kept thinking about that. I think about that with New York in general. I think that people glamorize it, try to present themselves in a certain way, try to create this image uh, of themselves and of the city and of this time. And I think you and Tony were the first to call out the fact that, like, hey, this was actually really rough and and bad and there were a lot Mm. of scary moments and it wasn't just cool punk scene. Believe it or not, I mean, I was therapy for like a couple of years just trying to deal with most of with all the shit that went down i don't know if you're aware of the fact uh, that they're, they're doing a documentary uh, about me uh, this director rex miller who did um amongst many other things he did the uh, arthur ash film that just came out citizen ash who was mm-hmm. on hbo really good but they're doing a documentary on me right now and actually uh, there's some footage of me and tony in it as well we did a lot of digging besides like, you know, finding like old uh, audio cassettes of my father and stuff, which were pretty intense because he had like a pretty serious drug problems and he, uh, you know, he lived a pretty rough life, a lot of years in prison and finding a lot of my, my mom's written stuff. So like, I know I saw a lot of crazy shit down there, but it turns out, you know, my whole life down there was kind of fucked up. I'm like reading stories about crazy, junky madness and crime and shit that they were all wrapped up in, you know, people robbing the house at gunpoint, and, you know, and here's the baby in the corner. And my mom's like, don't wake the baby. Cause I mean, I remember a lot of, you know, probably like 10, I guess when son of Sam was happening and blackout and all the, the shit that really like lingers in the memories of scary New York, what it was and like the stuff that still casts a shadow because mm-hmm. let's face it now, New York pretty fucking soft now comparatively. I mean, mm-hmm. it's starting to get crazy and weird again but it's still comparatively mm-hmm. pretty fucking you know i read some of the shit that my mom was writing about you know what I mean? and you know i love my mom to death but you know at the end of the day i kind of feel like she was kind of a pretty grimy bitch i mean you know she was like <laughs> my father was a junkie my mom was mm-hmm. you know a stripper and was like working at massage parlors in fucking Times square and shit like that want to travel the world like anthony bourdain this episode of friends of anthony bourdain is sponsored by monos Monos is an award-winning travel and lifestyle brand that makes timeless premium goods for the mindful traveler. Their collection of luggage, bags, clothing, and accessories is designed with intention, crafted with care, and made to last. One of my favorite Bourdain travel quotes is this. If I'm an advocate for anything, it's to move. As far as you can, as much as you can. Across the ocean or simply across the river. The extent to which you can walk in someone else's shoes or at least eat their food, it's a plus for everybody. Open your mind, get up off the couch, move. Monos values simplicity and believes that well-designed, premium travel products don't need to be loud and flashy. They simply speak for themselves. In today's throwaway society of passing trends and mass consumption, Monos designs their pieces to be timeless classics with an understated aesthetic that stands the test of time. 
Monos is inviting listeners of the Friends of Anthony Bourdain podcast to learn more about their story and experience, their collection of premium travel goods firsthand, and for a limited time, are offering 15% off your purchase at monos.com using the code Bourdain15. I think that what made you such a unique guest on the Lower East Side episode was your completely unique background and how quickly you grew up. And I don't need to tell you about yourself, Mm. obviously, but I think that you were the perfect person to assist in telling the story of the Lower East Side, the disparity between glorifying it and what it actually was because you actually lived it and you were Mm. like, hey, I am a living representation of how this can affect a person and what, what that time period was really like. So I guess one of my first questions for you is, when did you first meet Tony and did you know who he was when you met him? I encountered him way back in the day, like in the seventies, but I had no clue who he was. Obviously he wasn't an established anybody yet, you know, as far as a TV personality, whatever. I didn't meet him again, like formally until the nineties late. No, what am I thinking? Even later than that, I met him actually at the first sanctioned MMA fight in New York city. I had no idea who he was because I didn't have cable TV at the time. And I really, didn't, I was never really as much of a star fucker. I don't give a fuck if he's popular. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. If, the, if it's not happening in my life or around my life, I really don't give a fuck. That's but, iconic uh, and more people should be that way. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that says a lot about his, you know, Tony's character, I guess. The fact that he didn't even like give that off. Well, you know, the funny shit is like the only thing I noticed was I was just like, God damn, that motherfucker tall as shit. <laughs> I was like, holy, I was like, I'm like, it was he like six five or something? No, that like, dude, like, I was about to say, like, I I keep almost slipping into my New Yorkness and saying words that you can't use outside of New York. Like, the size, like I was like, this motherfucker's head is like the size of a fucking microwave. I mean, he's like, <laughs> he's a big fucker, you know? Well, it's crazy. Uh, and, like, when you, watch but, him on, when you watch him on TV, he's like next to a desert. You don't really see the perspective as to how tall he is. Yeah, then I'm like standing next to him and I feel like I'm about eight years old. I'm like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> You know, but um, I actually knew his wife, uh, Octavia, before I knew him. I knew, well, not really, because I, I, like I said, I'd met him back in the old days, but I knew her through jujitsu. And so I met him at the event, and he started coming around the academy, and we started bullshit and this and that. And then I started teaching his daughter. I was uh, his daughter's instructor for a long time. And mm-hmm. so we had been hanging out for a few months or whatever, and we're standing there, and he's like just staring off, and he goes, you know, first time I met you was that, and then he just starts rattling off all this shit about like 1970 some shit and and all these clubs and seeing me at all these clubs and being like, how the fuck is this kid getting in? Like, he's like, you know, 10 years old. He shouldn't even be like out this late. Never mind (laughs) hanging out at like, you know, Max's Kansas City. You got like people fucking doing drugs and like, you know, giving blowjobs and just fucking insanity. And he was like this 10 year old kid playing pinball is wrong with this picture you know so Mm -hmm. that was when i really got to know him i was like holy shit and then you know he just started dropping names of different people i knew growing up and we got to be friends really quickly you know because we had uh witnessed so much of the same shit and he was a real fan of Mm -hmm. a lot of the you know not just the people that i knew but like the whole experience going back to like before me you know, my mom was like uh, involved with like the Velvet Underground people in Warhol mm-hmm. and like Allen Ginsberg was our neighbor. And like I grew up around a lot of people that were a big deal to Tony. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't a big deal to me, but, you know, they were to him. So that was like fascinating to him. At my age, being in such a fucking crazy environment, you know, and 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 then probably also just being one of the only the people that he knew who could actually speak on all that shit. Mm-hmm. Because, as you know, most of the people who have lived in New York for the past uh, 20 or 30 years only got here within the past 20 or 30 years. They don't have that memory of, of how fucking crazy it really was, you know? Like in that Lower East Side episode, I guess, we mentioned, you know, Tony just brings up the romanticized lens of that era. Would you say, like, when you guys met, you guys maybe sort of gravitated towards MMA, sort of struggling through similar things? And was that sort of, like, something that maybe, like, helped with, like, mental health? Yeah, it definitely yeah. is. There's no fucking question. I mean, if it, if that, if it helped... You know, for him, which I'm sure it did, you mm-hmm. know, motherfucker needed to do a little more training, man. I think jujitsu helps everybody, mm-hmm. you know, in more ways than, than you can even imagine. It's probably part of what attracted me and him to do. Well, I have a lot of violence in my history. So, I mean, there's, you know, obviously I'm tainted with that. But uh, I think just the realness of it probably attracted him as well, you know, because mm-hmm. it's really, there's nothing more real than struggling against another human being and mm-hmm. feeling helpless and having to overcome it and learning how to get past that Mm. claustrophobic panic of what can I do now? Oh my God, I'm stuck. Like I'm in trouble. You know, there's so many different aspects of jujitsu that are like force you to really dig deep, Mm. you know, force you to overcome a lot of fears and securities and and stuff. And and it's, it's fucking great. It's really one of the things that helped me the most. I haven't personally done jujitsu or trained or anything, but a lot of friends, you know, like the discipline and like the mental strength that it takes. Yeah, and yeah. And you know what? For me, that's essential because I'm like the most undisciplined human being on the mm. planet. I mean, I hate doing what I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that, man. I, I like, you know, I don't even want to get up. I don't, I, you know, if I didn't have to, I wouldn't brush my fucking teeth. I'm just mm. lazy. I don't yeah. like to do, I'm not disciplined. How I made it to fucking black belt, how I... I've been a touring recording musician my whole life. I don't fucking know because I'm mm. not very disciplined, but it, it took a lot of fucking discipline yeah. to get my black belt, man. You know, and it takes a lot of discipline to, to go in knowing you're going to get your pretty much your ass kicked. I'm curious now, did you and Tony like ever get to sparring together? I didn't really train with him. It was always on different schedules. When I spent time with him, I spent time trying to pick his brain. Did you guys ever, during the course of your friendship, talk about addiction at different points? And Oh, shit, that was one of our main subjects that we would discuss all the time. I still smoke weed. I still drink here and there. I, I just take it all as a win. You know, I haven't done heroin since 95 or some shit i haven't done meth since 95 i haven't smoked pcp since mm. probably 95 or whatever you know so like all the really serious drugs mm. i've gotten to a point in life where i know i'm never going to sniff anything mm. just this i have zero interest i'm never going to do any drugs i mean it's like i took some mushrooms here and there you know uh that shit's over for me. Did you guys have similar views on addiction and sobriety? Because I know Fab and I, even last night, we were talking about the concept of sobriety and mm. how everyone has such a personal relationship with it. Some people continue drinking. Some people have to cold turkey, quit everything. Mm. When you guys had those conversations about addiction and sobriety, did you have similar views on how to how to deal with it? I guess so. And that may have been one of the things that I was seeking some sort of, I don't know, validation or comfort in. It was that fact that he was able to not get high. When I say not get high, I mean on smack and and, mm. and, and for him, crack and all, all that other shit. And at the same time, he could, he could have a drink. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't really smoke much weed, but he, he did smoke once in a 
well or whatever, but like I, I've known so many people that were like, you know, went from being like extreme drug addicts to being extremely militantly not into drugs and mm. to, you know, AA and yeah, yeah, yeah. all that. And then they wind up falling super hard off the wagon again and this and that. It's like they go from this fucking extreme roller coaster. And for me personally, like I like to be able to feel like, you know what, I like to take the edge off here and there. I like to have a drink once in a while. Mm. Uh, you know, I like to smoke some weed. As long as I'm not like doing shit that is more so damaging to other people and people around me. There's no way around it. When you're a fucking crackhead, a meth head, or a dope fiend, or whatever the fuck, a dusthead, you are a problem. And you're a problem to everybody. Related knows to the relationships you. that you have around you. You're a problem to yourself. You're a problem to fucking reality. You are yeah. a problem to the fucking human race. I think it's a natural thing to want to alter your state a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, and providing you're not like altering it to a point where you it, it, there's no coming back. I don't, you know, I'm well, not going to judge. Like you, you said, know? there's a massive difference between taking a load off and then like terrorizing the people around you with yeah, yeah you know but, but sadly a lot of us don't know where that line gets drawn mm -hmm. you know i have a lot of friends who had no choice but to go completely and totally sober and god bless them you know if, if they can handle that and live that way more power to you i wish i could you know not feel like like i need coffee or whatever the fuck you know what i mean but like you know I'm on, I'm on a little bit of a roller coaster. I, I go up, I go down, you know, as long as I'm not fucking going bananas, <laughs> I'm, I'm all right, you know. As long as you have your own personal, I guess, ways of taking a load off that aren't destructive. Mm -hmm. and Well, I, I was curious then. <laughs> would, would you... I mean, that's the dream. You know. Well, in terms of like that discipline, now you instruct, right, at the, at the studio. Would you say that that's sort of coming from like a perspective of you went through the Lower East Side through that time, that era. Feels nice to have people, to have like a place, a safe place, to build discipline, build strength, keep future generations out of that grime. Just to be clear, I did run the kids program there for close to about 10 years, mm -hmm. maybe a little more. I'm currently not running the kids program there anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm just training because I basically, I go on tour so much that it was really impossible for me to have a job there running a program and then constantly having people who need to fill in for me, this, that, mm -hmm. the other. So I stopped doing that. I'm back to just being there for myself, which is actually awesome. I, I really enjoy working with the kids and teaching the kids. But the fact is, is I started working with the kids because I had two sons and I was teaching them jujitsu. So one of them's about to be 18, the other one's 20. So they aged out of the kids program mm -hmm. a long time ago. So I feel like I did my job all the kids that are grown up, they're still in touch with me. And like the kids that are older, I still have relationships with all of them mm. and their family. It was a beautiful experience. I don't run the kids program anymore. And I'm just there training for myself. In fact, I'll be training in a couple hours. I, I got a date with uh, an ass beating. It's so funny, man. It's like, I, 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 yeah, no, I feel sometimes I feel like I'm going to like see my dominatrix or some shit because <laughs> like, I have a scheduled appointment that I know I'm going to basically go and get my ass kicked for an hour. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Can I ask you, where in New York do you live right now? Well, I can't, I can't give you a complete and total. Yeah, don't don't like <laughs> triangulate yourself. But but... I live uptown. I'm, I'm still in the city. I live uptown. It's still, you know, I, I live in the hood. It's been getting, you know, a little bit more gentle. It's still very old school. I live close to the Lower East Side. I live in Two Bridges. I'm so curious what Two Bridges was like. Uh, when you were in the Lower East Side. The Lower East Side was a real fucking shit show when I was a kid, man. I'll tell you. And it's like so funny because 
I'm more uncomfortable down there now than I was as a kid because I guess I was so used to the insanity of my life back then. You know, when I go down there now, I actually feel really uncomfortable. That shit was my stomping grounds. You know, I get out of a subway down there now and I'm like lost because there's mm. so many new buildings and so many new things that I'm just like looking around. I'm like, wait a second, which way is west? Which way is east? Like, I was watching an episode of your podcast and you brought attention to one of the oldest Italian joints in that area. Venerio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and so I was curious, yeah, before meeting Tony, did you, like, what was, like, your perspective on food? My wife is an amazing cook, mm -hmm. so I'm very lucky, and, you know, she's actually got a cookbook coming out. But me and Tony had very different, uh, he always used to shit on vegetarians, you know, <laughs> notorious, notorious for shitting on vegetarians, and I've been a vegetarian since 1982, so. What? Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, your and wife's uh, cookbook is going to be a vegetarian cookbook, or? No, it's it's not. It's mostly all vegetarian. Mm. Uh, it's not vegan. Uh, mm -hmm. It's kind of for people who are trying to start eating more vegetables in their life, mm. you know, may not be vegetarian, but want to start exploring a little bit more vegetarian cooking just mm. to kind of broaden their, their palate. Did Tony ever roast you for being a vegetarian? Something he we, was very yeah, outspoken about. Well, actually, I, I used to totally open the door for that, you know, like, yeah. and it's funny because I remember asking him one time, I'm like, all right, Tony, I know you always shit on vegetarians, but I got to ask you. I was like, if if you were going to cook dinner for me, what would you make? He got real serious for me. It was just like, <laughs> some kind of curry. No. Cacha Pepe. I'm actually really upset that I never had a chance to oh. have to make me Cacha Pepe. Forever, whenever I have Cacha Pepe, I always think of, always think of Tony. Mm. We'll be perfectly clear. No one would have ever associated Anthony Bourdain with a vegan lifestyle. And he was definitely also not known for being a health conscious chef. Right. He certainly did not maintain a plant-based diet. But, and there's a huge but here, he did have a true passion for all things ingredients, sourcing, freshness, and how things are made. That's why we wanted to partner with Sakara for this podcast. Sakara delivers science-backed, plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. The ready-to-eat meals are nutritionally designed to deliver results from weight management and ease bloat to boosted energy and clearer skin. And on top of all of the nutritional benefits, their food just simply tastes really good. Yeah, it's fresh and tastes unlike any other at your door meal. I feel like Sakara's food could really be suitable for any diet or lifestyle. I'm not vegan and I love it. It's just good food. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash Bourdain or enter code Bourdain at checkout. This is really an awesome deal. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash Bourdain to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash B-O-U-R-D-A-I-N. Again, Sakara.com slash Bourdain. I mean, like the uh, strong bond that you guys have is clearly like undeniable. And the parallels that you guys have, did you guys ever sort of like compare like his discipline and like his hardships as like a young chef, you know, writer gr going up. Anything. I think we just felt a common sense of reality. Mm. I haven't met a lot of people that I can like really conversate with, you know, because I've mm -hmm. seen and been through so much shit that it's kind of like difficult to see eye to eye with people. It's kind of like uh, if you're not a combat veteran, it's really hard to understand what a combat veteran has been through. Mm. It's just impossible to understand. If you haven't been through serious drug use, it's really kind of hard to understand what it's like to be 
really fucked up on drugs and just all the madness that it involves. If you or if you haven't like loved someone who was seriously fucked up on drugs, that's almost worse. Me and him had just shared a lot of because we didn't like grow up together, but you've seen so many things that you both can understand from your own perspective that you just feel a commonality, like you're able to speak the same language. And, uh, you know, the fact that we were, you know, two different generations, you know, I grew up very, very fast, one of my peers, but at the same time, because of the age difference, he felt like an elder. And I don't really know any other people that really, you know, maybe my, maybe my stepfather unfortunately didn't spend enough of my life with Enzo is kind of like an elder to me but he's more like a brother like you know Tony I felt like he was like really like the older guy that I could talk to about shit and I haven't really felt that that connection just having somebody that you could talk to who you feel has a little bit of perspective I don't even know how to put it like I could be a, a kid or I could be naive or I could just sit there and like cross my legs and look at him and ask the question it makes sense because you grew up so fast and you experienced so much so young that maybe that was this opportunity for you to kind of like relinquish this mm. early onset adulthood and allow someone else to be more of the adult yeah. in the mm. room with you, which is so special yeah. and so rare. It's like a sense of safety. too. Yeah, like yeah. this sense of – exactly. Yeah. And his daughter was just the greatest. You know, I'm sure she's just growing up to be such an awesome young person. Do you um, stay in touch with any members? No, of his I'd say I haven't seen I haven't seen any of his family since uh, memorial service, which was really something. It was a real honor to be there and just to feel like really meant something to him, and not just to him, but to I meant enough to him to where his family recognized that I should be there, mm-hmm. along with all these other people who are like serious celebrities to to you know world known people and then you know here i am sitting here sitting at the same table with like some of the most famous chefs reporters and entertainers in the fucking world and they're sitting here with me eating fucking popeye's chicken <laughs> but, but isn't that so tony right because he never i don't think he saw the world and like who's famous and who's cool yeah. he treated everyone well, that's, the same. You know, that's one of the things that was really kind of he was very tolerant I'll tell you that much because the guy like could not fucking walk down the street without being noticed. Cause you know, besides being very recognizable, he was also fucking tall as shit. So it was like, you know, you could see him from like two blocks away. He was really gracious. Even when you could see that it was driving him fucking nuts, he'd still let people get the picture. You know, he'd only like jet if he really had to jet, you know, he would always give people their two seconds. And it was really cool, especially since you know that he's not, that guy <laughs> you know it's like you know you kind of grudgingly like yes yes all right thank you yeah yeah it's all interesting right, awesome. you guys kind of represent two extremes of of the fame spectrum because you were literally a child famous and in that world and he yeah. really didn't come into his fame until he was in his 40s, 40s. so yeah. like you guys represent yeah. two different extremes of yeah. recognition yeah. in that way that chance encounter when you were young playing you know at the clubs and everything if yeah. anything, like you were like the celebrity, you know, and just walking in, and he's like, "Who the oh, fuck yeah. is this?" Well, that was kid? what used to trip him out. Yeah. Was he was like, you know, how the fuck does this even happen? I remember him saying, to me, like, you know, what? "It's like, this, like does how this kid own the like, place." The laws of the universe get like, you know, completely bypassed. You know, this mm. kid's walking security like he owns the fucking place, and I can't get in. That footage was you know? absolutely <laughs> hilarious and jarring to to watch you. I want to know what you would say as Tony's legacy, mm-hmm. the biggest thing that you carry with you from Tony through daily oh, life. I hate to say it, but the biggest thing I carry is fucking loss, man. I lost such a fucking solid cat, man. A reoccurring theme in my music 
since I was a kid has always, you know, kind of been not to give up. I don't know how I haven't, because I've been through some real, real, real tough times in my life. I mean, I, I don't know how much you guys know, but like, you know, I mean, I've been on my own since I was a kid. There was a lot of homelessness, a lot of, a lot of drug use. And, you know, I experienced a lot of like violence, you know, both sides of it, both ends of it, just due to circumstances. It was like, right now I'm in a, like a really, really good place in my life. I mean, I can only hope that that you know, will continue and not just continue, but increase, you know, but I'm in such a place of, of such gratitude right now. And I, I just know that there were many times that I really just wanted to cash it in. And it's, you know, it's pretty obvious to me just by, you know, when I think about how many years I spent like drowning myself in, in drugs and alcohol, like, I mean, you know, when you're like literally shooting drugs into your body that are like, says right on the label, body bag. That's the brand name of the heroin that you're shooting up. It's called body bag. Well, you can't tell me you're not trying to off yourself. Even if you're just getting high, you know, there's definitely a part of you that is taking a, a chance with life every every moment. Somehow I managed to live and now I'm in such a good place that like, you know, I just wish that motherfucker could have held on for like a few more hours, man. Everybody feels pain. Everybody, you know, everybody wants to give up sometimes. It's just a matter of not giving up and just fighting through it a little longer. Because if you just make it a little further, sometimes things turn out really good. I guess that that would be the most beautiful legacy that he has left on mm. you and the rest of the world. Sad and, and terrible and also, I'm sure, really yeah. anger-inducing for the people around him. I know it's probably tough to admit that yeah. you're angry with him mm. on some level. I struggle with that one because I really I feel bad more than angry. But, you know, some of my close friends who were you know, really tight with him. Some of the people that worked on the parts are known. I don't know if they'll ever forgive him, you know, because mm. they're so hurt. And I understand that. But, you know, at some point, you got to, like, stop taking it so personal. And mm. just, I feel really bad for him. I feel really bad for his daughter because she really missed out on what a fucking cool dad he would have continued to be. It's difficult to be famous. I've never been even nearly remotely close to as famous as his fingernail clipping <laughs> so and 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 i know it's been difficult for me at times i know there was a lot of you know things going on in his personal life that were really difficult for him to handle it's not easy when you are the guy that everybody just looks at you like you're the king shit and yeah you're just above and beyond and better and badass and nothing can phase you and nothing can touch you when in fact you're just as vulnerable and just as, you know, fucked up as everybody else, if not more so. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I mean, and obviously the guy had some issues because he was on a good amount of drugs and alcohol for a good amount of time throughout his life. You know, to me, that's, you know, that's an obvious either cry for help or an attempt at separating your brain from the things that it has to deal with. Either of which is not a sign of everything's okay. Mm. If you could just make it that little bit fucking further, man, you know, even if it's like you're running a race and you feel like your legs are going to fucking explode, like anybody who's ever had to do anything really, really difficult knows what it's like to be at that point when you're just like, I can't fucking do it. I can't fucking do it. And then if you just manage to get that second wind. The parallel between like the physical exertion of something like jujitsu and the discipline involved in that and, and what you're saying right now is really not lost on me. It really is about just making it through that next moment. And yeah. that's, that's so yeah. interesting. I don't know if it's maybe like overstepping to ask, but can you maybe reflect on where you were and what was going on when you heard about 
Tony's passing? I was laying in bed with my wife and she just like sat up looking at her phone like, oh my God, Tony just died. I had only seen him like a few weeks earlier, like just literally a couple of weeks earlier. Not to get it all into it and everything, but I could tell something wasn't really right. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. he was, you know, he was under a lot of personal stress at that particular time, as everybody knows. I mean, there was just a lot of drama going on between him and, and the women in his life, you know, not just the one that he was involved with at that moment, but, you know, even the mother of his child and just, you know, again, it, it's really, really difficult. And I can't uh, emphasize this enough to be a known person and to be somebody who's supposed to be the fucking king shit. And to be really just like so vulnerable and just basically be, it's like being on a rack and having your fucking, you know, like your cock and balls just right there. Cut them off, you know, (laughs) do what you want. I'm fucking helpless right here. It takes real fucking character to be able to just be like, I don't give a fuck. And I also know from, you know, from being a parent that, you know, like it was really difficult for me when I was, me and uh, my kid's mom separated and I wasn't seeing my kids as much as I wanted to. It was really difficult. There was a lot of different elements that were really eating at him. You know, just mm-hmm. like it's hard to be a father who's always on the road. Because, I mean, a lot of dads don't really want to be dads and don't really give a fuck. Mm-hmm. But then there are those of us who are like so into it, like so into it's it. It's hard for like, the people like, to care and they have to juggle so much. Yeah, you know, and it's like, you know, for myself, you know, being a father was just like one of the greatest things that I ever got to experience because it, you know, in a way I was getting to fix my, some of my own damaged childhood, like, you know, like not having my father and getting to experience kid joy for the first time, even though vicariously through them, (laughs) you know, Tony was really, really, really loved this kid. He felt like he finally did something right. Just not be around as much as you'd like to be. And it's not easy, you know? So there was just a lot of elements. It was, I, I think just a perfect storm of, sadness and in such a fucking black hole all at the same time i didn't even know about this shit until like a couple years ago just like how intense uh science is involved with all of this just like you know the dopamine you know this is why i think so many like famous people musicians you know rock stars actors whatever i think why they suffer so much because it's like you go from these extreme extreme highs to then these extreme fucking bottomless pits where like you know you go from being on one second where you're just like the fucking king of the universe to the next minute when you're like alone in your hotel room completely unhappy and can't figure out why you're such a unhappy fucking miserable fuck you know and you just want to be at home with your wife or at home with your kid or you're this like you're so overwhelmed with the distress Mm. you know the like the opposite of the joy and the happiness and I'm the fucking king of the world, all of a sudden you're like, it's the extreme opposite. People think that, oh my God, I'm an emotional wreck. I, I'm. They think they're feeling these things. Mm-hmm. When in fact, it's actually there's actually science behind it. It's like, it's no, like a asshole. chemical happening. Yeah. Your brain's like not meant to process that. And these emotional highs and lows aren't, are and these insane. situational things are just not yeah. something that we as humans can really deal with. We're animals at the end of the day. And it's just, yeah. I, I can't, I cannot imagine it. He alluded to it a lot throughout mm-hmm. the episodes, like the, the highs and the lows. And now I'm going to go back to my hotel yeah. room. That's oh, yeah. lonely. And and all that. You've told us like so many beautiful words and stories about Tony and everything. If you could describe Tony in one word, the man of just, you could, you know, talk about him for hours or what word would you use to describe him? Cool. If I could use two words, be cool motherfucker. <laughs> I guess that's cool. 
Write a cool motherfucker. Cool motherfucker was an epic closing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so, so, so much for spending this, this hour with us. And we learned so much. And also thank you so much for being so vulnerable. Thank you for opening up, man. Um, I can't help that shit, man. I don't have a switch. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Friends of Anthony Bourdain. Friends of Anthony Bourdain is produced by Haley Drazen of Hey Now Media and Brandon Brown. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow along on Instagram and TikTok at Friends of Anthony Bourdain. And don't forget to visit friendsofanthonybourdain.com.